Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, join me in prayer, and then we'll look at this passage together. Living God, help us to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, so we've been looking at Hebrews 2, and we're going to look, well, we've been looking at how Jesus possesses all glory, power, honor, right? <clears throat> we're looking at all the facets that Jesus is like this beautiful gem, the most beautiful. We're looking at all the facets of his greatness and his glory. And we come at the end of chapter 2, to a new perspective, you know, just a slightly different facet from the ones we've been looking at, and that's that he is our great helper during temptation. So we're going to look at how he is our helper when we're tempted. Now you're thinking, well, you might be thinking, and you will after I say this, that, Joel, it's Christmas Eve, so why can't you just do like a sermon on the virgin birth, the manger, the wise men, something like that? Like, we don't need to talk about temptation on Christmas Eve. Some of you have like friends or family. You're like, I don't want to have to like explain why you chose to do this instead of just like a normal Christmas sermon to my friends. Well, let me, I mean, we're notice again what Hebrews 2 says, that he became like us, right? He took on flesh. That's all about what happens at Christmas. And he did it to help us, right? And just in case you don't know, I mean, temptation, like the, the Christmas story is chock full of, of temptation, of testing, of trial, right? When, when Hebrews talks about, in, in, in chapter 2 as it begins, and it's going to return to this idea of temptation later in the book, but in Hebrews 2, temptations, most likely the author has in mind a broader idea than what we typically think about with temptation. It's not just being kind of driven or tempted to cross certain lines and disobey God. It's being thrust into trials that test our faith, right? That reveal just how strong or weak our faith, to reveal where our trust really lies, and if you look at the Christmas story, I mean, it's chock full of those kinds of situations. Mary's faith is tested. Think of what it would have been like to live as Mary. She conceives by the Holy Spirit. We know that. She knows that. Everybody else doesn't know that. And that's a problem for people, especially back then, right? People whispering about her, gossiping about her, casting sideways glances at her, all that stuff. She's suffering every day, maybe. It's a severe test of her faith. Joseph is tested. He knows the baby isn't his, but he sticks with Mary. From his culture's point of view, that's a pretty unmasculine thing to do. It's kind of a pushover. Right? That's a problem for people. His, his faith is severely tested. Herod is tested, and he doesn't do so well. 
right? He's thrown into all kinds of fear and anxiety when he hears about this birth of another king. How does he respond? He responds by killing all the young boys ages two and under in Bethlehem, right? His, 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 we see what's truly driving Herod, and it's this deep fear of ever giving up any political power. And because of Herod, these mothers, these mothers who lose their baby boys, their faith is tested. I mean, Jesus' birth brings this brilliant light, but it casts a kind of shadow. It exposes, it outlines this shadow, right? It sparks this, this resistance from Satan, from the world, and even within us, within our hearts. And the experience of that internal resistance, that external resistance, is what we call, what we're talking about when we talk about temptation. Temptation is all over the birth story, all over the Christmas story. So I have a right to talk about it. It was also on the docket, so that's just what we got to do, okay? <laughs> but it is, it is temptation. So we're going to talk about temptation. Hebrews says Jesus helps us during temptation. How does he help us? He is able to help you, point one. Point two, he wants to help you. And point three, how he helps you. So that he's able, that he wants to, and how he helps you. All right, now, just a quick aside. The word temptation, for some of us, can seem kind of outdated or old-fashioned, like, we don't really need to think about that anymore, and, and that's just kind of a negative view of the self. But when Christianity talks about being tempted, it's trying to be very nuanced about something, a question that every perspective has to answer, and that's where bad stuff comes from, why we do bad things, why we do things that we kind of know we shouldn't do. All of us do it, and the question is why? Where does that come from? And some people say, well, it's just bad people do bad things. Other people say, well, it's just bad environments do bad things. Other people say, well, it's just like it's unseen forces that drive us all to do bad things. And what Christianity says is actually it's, it's a confluence often of all three. It's never just bad people doing bad things, but it's people mixed with environments, mixed with unseen forces, driving things that result in bad things happening. Christianity's view of temptation and where bad things come from is a nuanced view. It refuses to be simplistic about its answers about where does this bad stuff come from. Okay, so it's not, it, whether it's outdated or not, it's highly relevant. It's highly complex. And so in that vein, let's look at temptation. Let's look at first that Jesus is able to help you. He's able. He's got the capability, right? Now, when we're being tempted, like any kind of like test or trial, what do you need? Like, what, what is it that you, like, if I were to ask you, like, what is it you need right now? Like, what would you say? You know, and some of us kind of the impulse, the gut is like, I just need somebody to rescue me, like get me out of here, right? Like Superman, just fly me out. Or like the Terminator, like come with me if you want to live. Like, and I hop on the motorcycle and I just ride off into safety. That's what I need. I just need somebody to get me out of here, right? Others of us are like, I need somebody to care about me. Right? I need somebody who's going to feel the struggle with me and get down in the dirt with me and cry with me because it's hard, right? Some of us really want just salvation, just deliverance. Take me out of here. Some of us really want someone who can empathize with us. And the problem is that both of those on their own are not quite complete, right? Because we don't just need kind of delivering someone just to pull us out. We need somebody to feel our pain with us. That's part of what it means to be human is to have people around us who feel our struggle with us. We need that. That's how we connect with one another. That, that, that's part of the help. But we don't just need people to feel our pain with us. If all we ever do is feel pain for others, that doesn't always help them, does it? Like a coach with his, with his players at bas in a basketball game, right? It's halftime, and they're down by 15 points, and all the players are dejected. And they're like, oh, what are we going to do? This is so bad. We're, I just feel so 
I feel hopeless. And if the coach comes down, sits down beside him and just starts crying with him and says, I know it's so hard. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? That's not what the players need. The players need to be told what to do. Yeah, be like, yeah, they need to know the coach has been where they are and the coach can help them get out of it, right? We need skill. We need seasoned expertise, but we need empathy. We need feeling. We need both. And Jesus, my friends, he has both. And Hebrews wants us to see that. Hebrews 1 says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. I don't even know exactly what that means, but it's pretty impressive. He's, it says that he's the exact imprint of God's nature. What does God look like? Jesus, right? He, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the source of all power, all skill, all gifting. He's the author of all of it. He is the most qualified person to support you, to help you during temptation. But also... He knows what it's like to be tempted. Hebrews 2 is so careful to help you see this. He was made like his brothers in every respect. Verse 16 says he suffered. Emphasis on the suffering. He suffered when tempted. It wasn't easy for him. He experienced it. He knows he possesses the skill, the know-how, and he's been seasoned by his own great suffering. He knows temptation with his mind, but also he knows it in his body. Now, some of you are hearing this, many of you, most of you maybe, and you're like, yeah, but does he really know? Like, does he really know? Because Jesus was morally perfect, morally pure. He was God in the flesh. Like, he, I mean, technically, right, like he couldn't actually sin. So, like, did he really experience it, like re-experience it? Like, is that really... Okay, and that makes sense. And in one sense, no, Jesus doesn't experience it exactly like we do. Part of the reason we're drawn into things we shouldn't go towards, right, is our own sinful nature, just reaching, driving us to do things that we know we shouldn't do. And Jesus didn't have that sinful nature. And so in that sense, no, he didn't experience temptation exactly like we did. And so then you're like, ah, see, that's what I'm talking about. He didn't. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what it's like. You know, for all of your body just kind of driving you into something that you know you shouldn't do. But be careful, okay? Think, let's, let's, not so fast. C.S. Lewis, in his book, kind of classic book, Mere Christianity, he responds to this objection that Jesus doesn't really know what it's like fully to experience temptation. Here's what he says. He's saying this, not me. He says, a silly idea is current that good people, you know, morally pure, morally powerful people, that good people don't know what temptation means. Lewis says, this is an obvious lie. Only those who resist temptation know how strong it is. Only those who resist it know how strong it is. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of that evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it, right? Until we res truly resist it. Jesus, because he's the only man who never, ever yielded to temptation is also the only man who knew to the full what temptation means. Do you see, do you follow his reasoning there? Like most of us, you know, we put up a decent fight, but it doesn't take all that much to break us. Like we know it. We, each of us probably, if we're honest, know there's certain things if they came into our life, temptations, pretty serious things, we'd probably do it. You know yourself, you just know it's true. It doesn't take, I mean, how much does the world have to throw at you? Does, does Satan have to throw at you? How much of their power do they have to throw at you to kind of get you to buckle? Maybe like 1%, right? Like maybe on like a good day, like 1.2. I know that's a pretty like low view of y'all, but like I'm right there with you. This is just where we are. Jesus, right? You've got to see this. They throw everything at him. 
100%. He doesn't give a millimeter. The Garden of Gethsemane, you see it happening, and you see what it does to him. You see what it does. It breaks his body. Right? He, his, he's sweating drops of blood because of, the, of what he's carrying, of what he's, the burden that he feels. We see his spirit beginning to break under the pressure. But still, still, he doesn't give in. He won't give in. Everything the world can throw, everything, his friends, like, we, you know, if nobody's watching, if it really doesn't affect anybody but us, right, if there's really no, like, concrete cost, then, like, we typically do it. That's what we do. Jesus, his friends are asleep. His country has abandoned him, and he's losing the sense of his father's presence, and still he won't buckle. He won't be moved. He won't give it an inch. What kind of pressure do you think he experienced? Incredible. He doesn't give in. He stays the course. See, some of us want the force of a lion to come and pluck us out of this stuff. Some of us want the gentleness of a lamb to come, come beside us and grieve with us and hurt with us. But in Christ, we have the lion and the lamb together in this mysterious mix. Full power, experience, skill, but empathy, care. Knowing in his mind what needs to be done, but knowing in his body what it feels like to struggle, to be afraid, to hurt. Some of you have resisted temptations in such a way that it just, it's like it drags you through this infinite night. No sleep, restlessness. Jesus knows that infinite darkness with you, that night with you. He's been there. He knows what it's like. He's able to help you. But not just he's able, but he wants to. Hear me, he wants, that's point two, he wants to help you. Now, when you're struggling, think about it. Just think about over the next day when you struggle. How do you imagine kind of Jesus responding? You know, usually it's kind of something like, come on, man, get together. Don't be an idiot like you were last time. Right? That's how we talk to our kids sometimes, unfortunately. It's how we talk to ourselves. Just get it together. Why do you keep doing the same dumb thing over and over again? And we kind of imagine Jesus doing the same thing. He's kind of stepped back like this. He's like, I'm over here. You're over there. Come on over here. Whenever you're ready, come on. But I'm not getting any closer to that, whatever that is. It's kind of this disgust we imagine him having. But Jesus, he wants to help you. He, he wants to come. He is, he is alongside you. He never abandons you. He never says, see, I told you, you dumb idiot. That's not what he says. He comes to help. We imagine Jesus embarrassed to draw near to us, especially when we're struggling. Usually it's pretty easy to see why we're struggling because we probably in some circumstance that we shouldn't have been in, or we've got ourselves here, we did this to ourselves, and now we're like, Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with this. And he's like, I'm here. I'm right here. I'm not ashamed to help you. I'm not ashamed to put my hand upon you. I'm not worried about being corrupted by you. You don't disgust me. Jesus wants to help you. He comes to help you. Some of us, Maybe if you're more religious, you see temptation. Like some of us, we want to clean ourselves up a little bit before we ask for help, right? Like we don't want to go just as we are. We want to kind of like, let's get a few days under our belt before we share whatever we're going through with somebody else. Because we can say something like, you know, I used to struggle with this, but now I don't. Right? Because like for two days, we've been okay. Right? We're, we're kind of ashamed to ask for help in the midst of our despair, in the darkest of our experience. We're ashamed. And the problem with that is that it just fuels shame. It leaves us alone in our shame. See, 
temptation and failure so often they initiate they initiate this kind of vicious powerful shame cycle if you ever struggle with any kind of addiction you know exactly what i'm talking about really we all struggle with it we're just not all aware of it but we fail right we do something we we shouldn't do and we regret it and we make the same mistake again that we've always made we start beating ourselves up about it we assume jesus wants to beat us up about it too and that just makes us feel even worse and even worse so we hurt more we descend even deeper and deeper into that dark hole of our pain further into despair and in that pain and despair we become that much more susceptible to the temptations that offer the temporary escape from all the hurt, right? And so we keep doing the things we don't want to do. We keep feeling the shame we don't want to feel. So we keep doing the things we want to do. So we don't feel the shame quite so much. And it's a vicious cycle that goes over and over and over and over again. And how do we disrupt the vicious cycle is to bring somebody in on the pain. Instead of trying to clean ourselves up a little bit before we get help, before we accept Jesus's help, we let Jesus lift up our head and we look into his eyes and we see honor and love not condemnation. That's how you disrupt the shame cycle. Well, that takes, that takes something. It takes a risk to reach for help in the midst of your darkest, dirtiest despair. He's never ashamed to help you. He wants to help us. Maybe you're seeing that now. He wants to help us. The question for us is, do we want his help? The help that he offers us. Do we want his help? Many of us, others of us, maybe not so religious, but we're, we might have been kind of heavily influenced by a, a kind of therapeutic culture, right? We're all for helping and honoring each other. And what we mean by that is we're all for seeing people's suffering alleviated and having their discomfort alleviated, but we want to retain that sense of autonomy and control. You can help me as long as I define the help you give me, as long as I tell you when to stop. We want to retain that sense of control. We want to decide how people help us. That's not exactly how Jesus works. Not exactly. He wants to help, but he has this dream for us. Like he wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. He says, I know the way to that freedom. On the front end, that's kind of what he says. The question is, can we follow him into that? Because it's risky. It's uncertain. It requires a certain giving up of control. It requires an acceptance of a certain kind of risk, right? And, and I'm going to quote, or I'm going to work with C.S. Lewis again, because he has a great way of, of depicting the inner struggle that we experience with this. In The Great Divorce, which is a story, a fictional story, about um, how lost people in hell are taken to kind of the foothills of heaven in a bus, and they're given permission to kind of explore and we get to see what their experience of kind of this uh, heavenly kingdom is like. And the narrator stumbles upon a conversation between a lost man and an angel. This angel's presence is so bright that it, and, and warm that it kind of burns if you get too close to him. The man, this lost man, has this little red lizard on his shoulder. I think I've used this before, but I don't care. I'm going to use it again. And it's the symbol of temptation, this lizard, right? The lost man can't get the lizard to stay quiet. Keeps on talking and distracting and demanding the guy's attention. And he can't really enjoy or kind of learn or focus on this kingdom that he's in. And so the angel offers to help the man. And this is what happens. The spirit, the angel says, would you like me to make him quiet? The lost man or the ghost says, of course I would. And the angel says, then I will kill him. Talking about the lizard. And he takes a step forward. I'll look out. You're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost. Don't you want him killed? 
You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? But the man keeps hemming and hauling and he can't bring himself to say yes. And the angel and the man go back and forth and the man gets more and more anxious and stressed so that finally he's like, why are you torturing me? You're jeering at me. How can I let you tear me to pieces? Notice the man's oppressed by this, this lizard. But he also can't imagine living without the lizard. Have I permission? The angel asks. Now the angel's hands are almost closed on the lizard. Almost, but not quite. And the lizard starts talking. This is what he says. Be careful. The angel can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd only be a sort of ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better? Aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit sometimes I've gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. Lizard's saying, Lizard's coaxing the man. The angel says again, have I your permission? I know it will kill me, the ghost says. It won't kill you, the angel says, but supposing it did kill you, what if it does? The man says, you're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then may I kill you? Not you. May I kill the lizard? And this is what C.S. Lewis writes, not me. Damn and blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over with. Do what you like, bellows the ghost. But then he ends whimpering, God help me. God help me. And God is offering him the help he needs. God help me, Jesus, help me. As Lewis shows us, though, the help Jesus offers, right? The help. It's Christmas time, and you hear the word help, and you're like, oh, Downton Abbey, maids and butlers. You know, this is the help we need. We need someone to wait on us and, 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 and speak when spoken to, and then go downstairs and not bother us anymore. We need someone to be at our aid when we call him. And Jesus is like, that is not the help I'm talking about here. I'm talking about, some, I'm talking about helping you be free of what oppresses you, of living a fully human life. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of help he's offering us. Some of us, we want Jesus' help, but kind of like the man, like not, not yet, like not yet. Give me a little more time, kind of, not yet. We want Jesus' help, but we also want a little control. We want Jesus' help, but we also kind of want to stay angry at him because we're not very happy at him. And to receive his love and help makes us think we might have to give up some of that anger. We want his help, but we don't. Jesus only has the help he has to offer you. He wants to give you the gift of his reign. That's what he offers, the freedom of following him. And deep down, that's what we really need. We need Jesus on the throne of our hearts as our greatest love, the only one that we can worship. See, temptation, it's never just a test of what we will do, of what line we will cross. There's always a test underneath the test, right? And that's who, what, do you serve? Whom do you love? That's the test. Will we serve ourselves, our jobs, our friends, our desires, or will we love and serve Jesus? 
Jesus wants to help you receive the gift of his reign. Because it is a gift, it will set you free. And he won't do it all at once. He's careful. He's gentle. He is a lion, but he's also a lamb. He'll be careful. Isaiah 42 says, a bruised reed he will not break. He will be gentle. But from the very beginning, when Jesus stoops to help us, he, 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 his crown stays on his head. His royal robes stay around his body. He, all in, in all his royalty, he gets in the muck and mire with us and says, let me help you. Will we take the hand of our king or not is the question. Will we go and follow him wherever he leads? That's the help he offers. It's the pathway to true freedom. He wants to help you find it. And point three, let's talk about how Jesus helps us. We've already kind of talked around it, but let's just talk a little bit about how he helps us. And, and maybe the key is that he helps you by giving you the power to endure, to stay, to persevere. Notice Hebrews doesn't say he helps us kind of by getting us out. He helps you by giving you the power to endure. He helps us during temptation. First Corinthians 10, 13 says something similar. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Notice what Paul's saying. God provides us a way of escape that you can endure the temptation. The way out of temptation is by enduring it, keeping the faith. We escape temptation by enduring the temptation, by not giving in. Now, sometimes we do flee temptation. We do run away. We get out. We remove ourselves. But usually that's just the beginning of temptation. I mean, just imagine. I mean, this is a simple one. But imagine you're on a business trip with the guys or the gals or whatever. And they go out one night, and they're going to go to some unquestionable places, right? And you're like, I probably shouldn't go. Right? And you're like, okay, I took a stand. I didn't do what I didn't think I should do, right? But what's going to happen the next morning when you see him? You're going to be like, oh, hey. Bill, too cool for us, like too good for us, you know, and then word gets out that you're no fun, that you're not a team player, and things get a little bit more difficult at work, and you wonder just how secure your job is because word gets to your manager, the same thing, and now the temptation has really begun. Right now, you can't get out of that. You must endure it. You must endure it. And Jesus gives you the power to endure it. How does he give you the power it's through a, an abiding relationship with him. It's through a thriving relationship with Jesus. See, in Jesus, you have someone who knows what it's like to feel abandoned, betrayed, to struggle. He can offer you real comfort. You can truly be seen and heard because he knows in his body what it's like to struggle. In Jesus, you have someone who knows how to guide you. He, know, he conquered it all. He never gave in. And what, is he, what did it take him? It took him to to an incredible, glorious place of honor. And he says he can do the same with us. And he's proven it because he went there himself. He knows how to guide you through it, right? And you have the king who reigns in Jesus. In him, you have the king who reigns and he knows your name. He promises to defend you. He promises to vindicate you. He promises to defeat everything that opposes you, whether it's within you or outside of you. Like death can't win. Like even if it kills you, right? That just means you win. Because death just brings you into the presence of Jesus. We have nothing to fear. Every temptation, every test, remember it's a test ultimately of our faith in Jesus. Are we placing our deep trust in him? 
And so what that means is we have to look to him. During struggle, look to him. See, like when you, when you feel the pull, whatever it is, to lose it, to escape into some addiction, to whatever you're tempted by, when you start to feel that, remember, Jesus is, is not absent from you. He's with you. And you make a mistake. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still there to help you. He's not, he's not disgusted by you. Remember, look to him for the assurance that he's not going anywhere. He's there to help you. He wants to give you aid. And so look to him, but look to him for the help that he can provide you. Look to him for, for real freedom from the things that oppress you. Look to him for real power to endure the struggles and trials that you're going to encounter in life. Look to him. You need to remember and rehearse the story during temptation. That Jesus, who was more powerful than any other being, right? He takes on flesh and he lives the life that we should have lived. And he died the death that we deserve so that we can have eternal life and the promise of life with him and a new creation. Now he's ascended into heaven. He reigns from heaven and he promises to return and make all things new. He promises to work all things for your good, even your failures. Even when you do cross the line, somehow God in his wisdom, Jesus in his power will work those things somehow for your good. You can't lose. In one sense, that really kind of lowers the stakes, doesn't it? At risk now, at threat, when you're about to cross the line, it's no longer God's love, his acceptance. It's no longer God's presence. Sure, your experience of those things will change if you're not trying to please and follow and love him back. But his love remains the same. His faithfulness remains the same. Those things are not at stake anymore for, for the children of God. Right? So look to him for the help that he can actually provide you, the help to be free, the help to endure. Remember how your story ends. It ends with Christ sharing his honor and glory with you. And then get specific in the temptation about what's being tested. You know, if you're tempted to lie or gossip because you want to be accepted by your friends, which all of us have been tempted to do. Many of us, have, most of us have probably done it. You don't want to disappoint them. Hey, did you read that book that I, oh, I, yeah, it was great. You didn't read it, right? Because you're like, oh, I don't want to make him feel bad. Right? Did you watch? No, I didn't watch them. We, we say little things all the time because we're worried about disappointing people. And in that moment, what's happening is that their acceptance and their approval, we love it more. We feel like we can live, we can't live without that. And we neglect to remember God's acceptance and Christ's approval, just how much he loves us. And if we have that, we can, we can deal with the sting of other people's disappointment. So get specific with your heart as you apply the gospel, especially during temptation and especially after it. Right? If you're struggling, like if you're tempted to give into your addiction, remember, meditate on the fact that Jesus is there to help you right now. He's in it with you. He's not ashamed of you. And he offers you the hope of real freedom if you'll trust him. You've got to beat that in your heart sometimes. You've got to stake your life on it. If you're tempted to be anxious about your future or your kids for future, remember that Jesus has shown that he's a trustworthy Lord and King. Like God is, God is the, the father of your children and he's a much better parent than you are. You can trust him with your kids. He promises for you and your children that any pain any difficulty by his spirit, he can transform that into something beautiful. It lowers the stakes. It doesn't take away all concern or fear. 
or anxiety, but it lowers the stakes for us. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We can cast our cares on. All right, Jesus, God in the flesh, he is the only human being who truly has it all together. He's the one. Like, who's got it all together? Some LeBron James, Taylor Swift, whoever it is, your, the, 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 your, your father, your mother, whoever it is you look up to, who's got it all together? Who do I want to be like? Jesus. He shows in his life he's truly got it all together. A beautiful life, an incredible life. No one who reads the story of Jesus can deny it. And he comes to us and he says, I can make you like me. In a sense, I can make you sing like me, perform like me. I can make you like me. That's an incredible invitation. He never says it will be easy. It will involve temptation, trial, difficulty. But you know, life is full of it anyway. It's not going away. Follow Jesus and you find a power to endure. You find a freedom you never thought possible. You find a beautiful life. Sometimes a tortured beauty, but a beautiful life. So let's receive the help that Jesus has to offer us. Um, as we come to the table, this is how he offers us his help. This is how he nourishes our hearts and our minds. This is how he helps us. His broken body, his shed blood, we receive that in faith, and it drives us it drives us into obedience, but also joy in the reign of Jesus.